0: I'm Archbishop Alan Vigneron of the Archdiocese of Detroit, and this is the Eyes on Jesus podcast.
1: Hello and welcome to the Eyes on Jesus podcast with Archbishop Alan Vigneron. I'm your host, Mike
2: Chamberlain. And I'm your host, Mary Wilkerson.
1: We are excited to release new episodes once a month, so please make sure to subscribe and review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Archbishop, welcome. Thanks for joining us, and how have you been?
0: I've been pretty well thank you. Uh you know every day there's a little bit more sunshine in the evening and mm-hmm, in the morning mm-hmm. and that makes me feel better. And right I, there with you. <laughs> there are even some of the the first uh win, l- late winter uh flowers out in my garden so mm.
2: I'm looking out the window right now and you can see some little buds coming through on on a tree and that makes me so happy and we just we're coming off a couple really nice days where it's that they I think they say fall spring right where it ends up being 60 degrees in February and so I think that's a little a gift from God to rejuvenate us. We're going to start first by talking about, if it's okay with you, the Eucharistic Revival. Recently, you had an opportunity to visit Ave Maria University in Florida to give a presentation during their conference called St. Thomas Aquinas and the Eucharist, Pathways to Revival. Can you tell us a little bit about that conference and your presentation?
0: Well, it was really some very fine scholars. Uh, I was uh, kind of humbled to be included among them, but it was a great joy. and A lot of varying topics, but they all... uh, Made a, focused on this point that St. Thomas's own sense of the Eucharist gives us a wisdom uh, that we can rely upon as we seek uh, this great uh, goal of a Eucharistic revival here in the churches of the United States. Uh, my topic was uh, entitled "A Pledge of Future Glory, the Eucharistic Presence of the Eschaton. Um, And I started thinking about this topic from the backward part. Uh, Started thinking about what can the Eucharist do to help us live through this time, the particular challenges of this time. And I think one of the particular challenges of this time is that there is a broad, what I would call a a pseudo or or a false, uh, a counterfeit eschatology. The idea that we can make uh, a perfect world by our own efforts Mm -hmm. That's very dangerous. I mean, one of the most dangerous uh, manifestations of that kind of false eschatology is Marxism, but there are are other brands of it, too. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some of it uh, simply gets to the point that uh, we don't have to uh, be at peace with our own nature about, say, marriage and human sexuality uh, or the idea that we can make a perfect world and uh, that leads to a lot of uh, other difficulties so i think the eucharist is a kind of a remedy for that as well and what does saint thomas tell us he tells us that the eucharist is the pledge of future glory Uh, uh, thomas wrote a prayer that we use for the magnificat antiphon and corpus christi o sacred banquet in which christ is received the memory of his passion is recalled the mind is filled with grace, and a pledge of future glory is given to us. So I I explored this theme about how the Eucharist is the presencing, the manifestation of uh, the end of the world and the triumph of the kingdom of Christ because it makes present Christ in his triumph. And I think that's very important for us to remember. It's it's one of the fruits I would hope for as part of the Uh, the uh, Eucharistic revival in the United States. And the other thing, I mean, that's a a more global kind of fruit, but another fruit that uh, should come from this sense of the real presence, not just that uh, Jesus is substantially present, but he's really present in his triumph, in his future, is the way we celebrate the Eucharist. Uh, John Paul put it this way, quoting a Russian theologian, the liturgy is heaven on earth, and so uh, all of us, not just the ministers, not just the priests, but the, the people at mass need to be aware that uh, we're in the court of heaven when we celebrate the Eucharist. Uh, no matter how humble the chapel is where, where the mass is offered, uh, it's not trivial. It's, uh, it's about the glory of uh, the eternal kingdom made present under the appearances of bread and wine because Christ is made present under the appearances of bread and wine. So that's a long answer. I no, a great answer. No, yeah, that's, that's a, great.
2: <laughs> that's, a, that's an answer we can take and kind of meditate on for a while. Yeah. You mentioned in the course of that answer, the um, National Eucharistic Revival. And this conference was developed in part uh, to Ave Maria responding to the National Eucharistic Revival. Can you just remind us what that is and maybe some of the efforts within the Archdiocese of Detroit as we get closer and closer to this um, climax of that in July?
0: Well, uh, it... The bishops set it up. We agreed to do this in response to a couple of things. One, well, two different kinds of confusion about the Eucharist. One, there was a survey, the very alarming about how many of the faithful don't really believe in the true presence. And then also confusion about what it means to receive Holy Communion abroad in the life of the church. So the bishops thought that Uh, this was reading the signs of this time that uh, be good for a three-year process uh, to uh, engage in this Eucharistic revival and uh, we're coming to the climax right now uh, which will be a a Eucharistic Congress in Indianapolis uh, this summer and we're preparing for it by uh, regional gatherings here in the Archdiocese and uh, Part part of what the di- the conference is doing is making resources available that, that I'm sharing with the parish priests to uh, engage in the revival in our own parishes, in their preaching and in our catechesis, and in devotion, too. Uh, one of the things that uh, the bishops have asked for is a, a greater uh, practice of uh, the Corpus Christi processions, which I think is a beautiful way to uh, give a witness to our belief that it's in the Eucharist above all ways that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us.
2: Well, for those of our listeners that might wanna find out more information about what the Archdiocese is doing and even perhaps a way to register to attend the Eucharistic revival, uh, the Congress in July, you can visit aod.org love Uh, dash outport and so that's aod.org slash love dash outport so you can go to our website and get more information on on this uh, special moment in american or the united states church history and uh, later on we'll be talking more about pilgrimages so we'll dive into that
1: archbishop i know as we record this we are uh just kind of on the on the doorstep of Lent, and as people listen to it, we'll probably be into Lent already. I know just for you personally, do you have any specific Lenten plans or anything you're looking forward to in this specific Lent?
0: I do. I've been praying the last few days uh, what uh, the Holy Spirit uh, ha- has in mind for my Lent. Um, I think one. Of, well, first of all, the way I've been thinking about it is, what does what's the Lent that God wants to share with me? What does what Lent does Jesus and, and do Jesus and I uh, have in mind for Lent, or does Jesus have in mind for me? Hmm. I think that's a good way to think about Lent. It's, it's a gift. Uh, one of my resolutions is uh, to be sure that uh, I uh, pray the way of the cross every Friday in Lent. Hmm. And another is, I, I'd like to be renewed in my uh, ardor when I offer the divine office every day. That's another goal I have in Lent. But Lent is always, uh, I was just reading what the, the ceremonial, which is a, a liturgical book directed to bishops to guide us in our uh, celebration of the liturgy. And the ceremonial makes this uh, basic point that Lent is always about conversion and always about uh, baptism. For both for the catechumens and for the already baptized. Uh, for catechumens and the, and the faithful conversion ever more closely to the mind and heart of Christ and about baptism for the catechumens to be ready for their baptism and for the faithful to be renewed in our baptism so we all can celebrate uh, the Paschal feasts uh, with new, uh, new vigor.
2: Good things to reflect on. I like that you said that what does God want to share with me this Lent as a gift. I actually wrote that down as... um you know, within the little domestic church, as I get my kids ready to enter into this season, to think of it as as a gift, like a real opportunity. So uh, sacrifices and anything that we're choosing to do is so that God can reveal himself more fully to us. Um, And truly, conversion is a gift as well, right? This drawing closer to Christ. So I'm going to take that and bring it into my family life. So thank you for that, Archbishop. As we get ready to have our topic today, is there anything else you want to discuss about the course of the last month?
0: Well, a couple of things, Mary. One, I'd just like in public here to give praise and thanks to God for the World Day of the Sick celebration we had in the cathedral on the 11th of February, uh, which, in fact, is uh, the feast, the memorial of Our Lady of Lourdes, uh, which which is the occasion for the World Day of the Sick. And at the cathedral on Sunday the 11th, we had a communal anointing within the the Sunday Mass. It was a beautiful occasion, as always. I find it a, a great ministry, a great experience of priestly service on my part to anoint mm-hmm. the sick, uh, and to it's a privilege, really. Uh, the prayer of sick people, uh, their commendation of themselves to God, their entrustment into the hands of the, the Father, along with Jesus something very sacred and that we who uh, are with them in solidarity and communion are invited to be part of that prayer I, I find very humbling and, and uh, uh, very um, very grateful that I can be in such a sacred spot as to be in, engaged with people who are uh, so, so closely united with Christ. And the other thing I'd like to simply mention was to uh, express how edified I was both at the passing of Monsignor Dan Trapp and and his funeral. Uh, He very much exemplified uh, uh, being a faithful priest, a faithful disciple, and I, I know he touched many lives. I had a conversation the other day with seminarians about the grace they found in his passing and in many different ways what they said they was an opportunity to be renewed in their commitment to try and imitate him as he was an imitator of christ the high priest
2: it was interesting reading and and listening to people that knew monsignor trap well i didn't have the pleasure of knowing him they're witnesses to what he did for their faith life it was kind of a little peek into um eternity and what the goal is of all this, right? That people uh, were called to help each other get to heaven and understand who Jesus is here on earth. And it seemed like he did that so well.
0: And Mary, I think he was an alumnus
2: of your high school. Of Divine Child? Yeah, I think so. Was he really? Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> that is, that makes it even more special. His, uh, his passing and uh, entrance into heaven one day I think will be beautiful, so uh, it's great. As mentioned today, we are going to talk a little bit about pilgrimages. And so I'm it's a topic that's dear to my heart. So I'm really excited to dig into uh, what a pilgrimage is and the way that pilgrimages can help us on our faith walk. So if we can start by having you Archbishop, tell us a little bit about what a pilgrimage is and how it's different from a trip or a vacation.
0: Basically, in its most uh, simple form, uh, a pilgrimage is a uh, traveling to a place that's been sanctified by uh, the presence of God in order, I think, to lay hold of the blessings that, have, that are offered there. Um, I think uh, that, that's something pilgrim, pilgrimages all have in common. And so it, I mean, I suppose in a way it's not unlike a, a vacation insofar as it involves travel, but it's uh, traveling with a very particular purpose and it's also uh, another way I think pilgrimages are different from vacations. is It's not about comfort, and in fact, uh, very often, uh, pilgrimages, often by happenstance, involve discomfort, and uh, challenges, and that's part of the the gift of a pilgrimage, is uh, to uh, to face those challenges. Uh, on the way toward uh, a divine goal. The other thing I would say about pilgrimage is that uh, uh, what, one way they're different is that it involves a kind of a detachment uh, from what's fil- uh, familiar. Uh, that, that's another way to think about. Uh, I need, need to put aside the familiar so I can be in touch with the sacred.
2: Mm. Can you tell us, Archbishop, a little bit about the history of pilgrimages in the Catholic faith and why we do them?
0: Well, I uh, I looked this up in the encyclopedia so I'd be confirmed uh, in what I thought. And it is that within the the Christian church, the first great center of pilgrimage was to the Holy Land, to the holy places in Jerusalem especially. And in that, I suppose there's a great continuity between uh, the Old Covenant and the New because uh, that was the point of pilgrimage for the Jewish people already was to go up to Jerusalem. Uh, Many of the Psalms are Psalms of pilgrimage. Uh, The great pilgrim is himself our Lord Jesus who we have the account of when he was about 12 going up to Jerusalem on pilgrimage. Uh, We know from the gospel accounts of his ministry that he often made the pilgrimage to uh, to Jerusalem so we're just continuing that, and uh, after, after what, from what I've read, after the pilgrimage to the uh, to Jerusalem and the other holy sites, Nazareth of course, uh, uh, the Jordan River, uh, all the places of uh, of the Holy Land. The next uh, popular place of pilgrimage was to Egypt to visit the holy monks in the desert, uh, great monks like Saint Paul the Hermit or. Uh, Saint Anthony of Egypt. And then Mm. uh, very soon after that, uh, Rome became a place of uh, great pilgrimage to the tombs of the the martyrs, especially the tombs of Peter and Paul. Mm. Why do we go? Well, because we need to put aside the ordinary things of our life, the things that are familiar, Mm -hmm. uh, in order to be in touch with the things that are beyond the familiar, the uh, the things of the kingdom of heaven. Mm. And that doesn't mean we leave be- behind the familiar. In fact, one of the fruits of a pilgrimage is that uh, from going to this extraordinary place where God has been at work, uh, we are able to go back to the ordinary parts of our life and see him at work at work there. And this, I think, uh, we're a little bit like Abraham or like Moses and the, the Jewish people. Uh, we're called out of the ordinary uh, to do something extraordinary in order to be close to God. And it creates a, a deeper relationship. Uh, it, it's a, it's a, to go to the holy place is to expect to be surprised. That God's mm-hmm. got something there for me. Um, pilgrimages are also a way of... Uh, Uh, Thinking about my life as uh, as a kind of an exile, that I'm on my road to the heavenly Jerusalem, and so I shouldn't be too familiar uh, with uh, the things that are surrounding me. Mm. I'm I'm really a a pilgrim in this world. Uh, The real pilgrimage is to the new and heavenly Jerusalem. And the third thing I think is important is uh, often, in insofar as we can, to find. uh, companions on the pilgrimage. Uh, sometimes we go with a group of people as our companions. Oftentimes, even if we start out alone, we'll find somebody along the way to be our companion. Mm. And even the companionship along the way is is one of the, the blessings that a pilgrimage offers. If, I suppose the simplest way that I could think about it is that It's it's a a focus on a place where God has worked and I want to go there so that he can work in me and I'm ready to be surprised at how he's going to work in me. I trust that there's something there for me as well.
1: Beautiful. Large Bishop, I know that there's many different uh, faiths and people of different backgrounds that go on pilgrimages. You know, there's obviously a distinct Catholic uh, kind of pilgrimage. What are some of those distinctly Catholic locations, and and what have been some of your favorite?
0: Well, as I mentioned, the Holy Land, of course. Uh, Rome is a great place of pilgrimage. Uh, The uh, uh, Santiago de Compostela with the Camino into Spain. Uh, Marian Shrines are places of pilgrimage uh, in Paris, for example, uh, a pilgrimage to uh, the, the place where Our Lady gave the Miraculous Medal to Catherine Labray, uh, to Fatima, to uh, Gar- uh, Garibandal, to Medjugorje, and, and to Lourdes, of course, a very important pilgrimage spot. Uh, and Lourdes is certainly one of my favorite uh, pilgrimage
1: sites. Hmm. I know you've done that one so, so regularly. Can you actually speak into that a little bit more? Like, what, why, why would you say that one's your favorite out of all the others, you know?
0: Well, partly because of the, the, the companions I've developed along the way. Uh, I go as a chaplain of the Knights and Dames of Malta, and uh, the gifts that they've received on the, way, on the pilgrimage have been gifts they've shared with me, and they've enriched me in the pilgrimage greatly. Uh, there's a very uh, astute, very wise uh, dame of Malta who early on said to me, you know, Bishop, uh, there are a lot of, uh, in Lourdes, there might only be a few cures, but there's healing for everyone. And uh, I've often, that seems to me to be uh, just very much a a part of the wisdom of the Lourdes pilgrimage. Mm -hmm. Secondly, it's very much a, a communal pilgrimage, which I find builds me up greatly. Hmm. And then the third thing is uh, just how clear it is to me that Our Lady is unleashing, if I can use my our own Detroit <laughs> vocabulary, <laughs> yeah. how Our Lady was sent to unleash the gospel at, at Lourdes uh, to make clear the message that God is with us, we need to uh, repent. And take hold of that grace of His presence, uh, you know, uh, the the uh, the rock where in which uh, she appeared, where the mm. the niche uh, is called Massabielle, and at the base of Massabielle was the city garbage dump, mm. and so Our Lady appeared in a garbage dump, and to me, uh, this is one way for God to say that. He doesn't mind our garbage. He's in the middle of our garbage. Mm-hmm. And we need to let him come to us there and help us
1: to deal with whatever our garbage is. I was just going to say, Archbishop, remind me, when was the first time you participated in that particular pilgrimage, Lords? I know you've been many, many times, but when did that begin for you?
0: Uh, when I was the Bishop of Oakland, and I'm that I came to Oakland in about, in 2003, so maybe 2004, 2005. Okay. Awesome. And it was at the urging of uh, the Malta people there
1: that I joined the pilgrimage. Hmm. So it's been a full 20 years now for you, basically.
0: Yeah, I think I've been 12 times.
2: Wow. Yeah. And each time, I'm assuming there's a different grace for you.
0: Indeed, there is. Yeah. And awesome. I, I think I helped the other pilgrims with their pilgrimage, and so mm. that that's the satisfaction of, of being a useful priest. Yeah.
2: As uh, we were preparing for this episode, Mike and I were talking a little bit about some pilgrimage experiences we've been on, and been. I can think of the priests and the bishops who've led me in those experiences, and it's such a key part. To have somebody there kind of guiding the experience i think um mike is there any particular pilgrimages as the archbishop shares about lords that that you think back on that you're like there was grace here and here's what the lord did for me on this pilgrimage
1: yeah, I mean, I think uh, I was fortunate, well, you and I were both fortunate, we were uh, studying abroad in the year 2000 in uh, in Austria for, for Franciscan University, and specifically, there was a trip to Assisi in Rome, and I know going to Rome specifically, you know, was the, the Jubilee year with the Holy Door and and doing that, um, and of course, just, you know, having that entire semester to travel broadly and each weekend travel to different locations, but most specifically, I think uh, doing Assisi and Rome, uh, obviously, just incredibly powerful from a... You know, young person standpoint, first time really Mm -hmm. traveling outside the country and, and seeing all these things was amazing.
2: Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. How about for you? So I was able to, right before I met my husband, Aaron, go on a pilgrimage to the Holy Land. And, um, uh my my prayer on that particular pilgrimage was that the lord would bring some clarity to my vocation and so uh it's very special to me obviously going to the holy land but also um when i got back like three weeks later aaron asked me on our first date and so i consider that a fruit of that particular pilgrimage it wasn't necessarily to meet a spouse but it was to gain clarity on where the lord was leading me and so uh super special actually so Mm. yeah um so, so far in this podcast, we've talked about really big pilgrimages, overseas pilgrimages, the Holy Land, lords, Rome and Assisi. Um, and those pilgrimages, I think are so important. Um, but they're not accessible to everyone always. So I'm wondering, Archbishop, does one have to travel extensively or spend a lot of money in order to go on pilgrimage? Does one even have to formally sign up or go as a group? Or can kind of if we make an intention to go on a pilgrimage locally? Is that a quote, real quote, Pilgrimage. <laughs>
0: yeah, you're right. Yeah. Uh, we yeah. make an intention to go to a place that we know has been touched by uh, by the Lord and and made a a, a place uh, that's sacred, and uh, we travel there. And it could be that could be a, a 30 minute ride in the car. But yeah. we, I think the important thing is the attitude, the, the what's in the heart that we put us. We're putting aside the ordinary. Uh, to do something extraordinary, hmm. confident that God has something for me in that new place. It's very much Abraham's experience, mm-hmm. whatever it means to leave the comfort of, of home and to uh, exercise myself enough, to uh, challenge myself enough to leave the the familiar so that I'm open to hear what God has to say. That's the attitude of a pilgrim. I've left right. behind the ordinary uh, things that support me and i'm going to trust
1: in god sounds like a camping trip (laughs) 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 oh that's
2: true
1: (laughs) No, but I I think what you make a a great point, because I know typically, Mary and I were talking about this before we started to record as well, is that oftentimes pilgrimages can seem just so expensive, especially if you're, you know, a young person who's starting out doesn't have a lot of money, or if you're, uh, you know, a a young family, uh, you know, how do you involve your kids on something like that, even though you want to do it? Uh, So how do you plan a pilgrimage on a tight budget is, is kind of, again, linking to what Mary has just said. Do you have any recommendations of some things that people can kind of do locally, Archbishop, even, uh, even maybe within the six counties of southeast Michigan?
0: Oh, sure. Um, obviously, uh, the Shrine of Blessed Solan is at uh, St. Bonaventure Monastery. That would be a mm-hmm. good place for pilgrimage. The Shrine of uh, St. Therese uh, of Lisieux in Royal Oak Uh, the Basilica of St. Anne in southwest Detroit. There's a shrine to uh, St. John Paul II at uh, uh, Our Lady's Church in uh, in the Orchard Lake Schools. Um, The uh, Shrine of St. Joseph on uh, J Street. Uh, There are a lot of ways to do pilgrimages. Um, I think uh, there are some people who make a pilgrimage out of visiting uh, the historic churches of the city. Uh, they're not just doing sightseeing, but they're they are going to these places that are sanctified by the faithful having worshiped there for a very long time. There's a, a Lord's Shrine at Old St. Mary's in, in Greektown. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think a lot of ways to be on pilgrimage.
2: That reminds me, um Divine Child a couple of years ago started doing a Holy Thursday seven church visit uh, in the evening and so go- going to seven different places. And my husband and I had this crazy idea to bring our children. And so they take the school buses and they go to seven churches in in the city. And I brought my my pretty young children and I gave them each like a little notebook and a baggie of markers and crayons and at each place just asked them to hear what Jesus had to say to them. And it was amazing to read the reflections after For real. One of them, Mm. I think when we went to, maybe it was, um, I think it was St. Joseph's Shrine. Maybe. Is there St. the Oratory, right? Is there an Oratory? Mm -hmm. Yes, okay. So we went into the Oratory and it's right in the middle of, like, you know, the city. (laughs) So one of my kids was reflecting on the fact that Jesus' presence could be found kind of, and outside is chaos, and then this calm of the altar of repose. And I couldn't, it was like a beautiful reflection, taking my children on this late night pilgrimage. And for them, it was kind of cool to go on the school bus, and it was dark out to go to the seven different altars. But I think it'll stay with them, being able to see Jesus, reposed at at all these different places and so that in itself was a pilgrimage that was free we didn't spend a dime on that we took school buses and some mm. markers in a baggie and they were able to i think grow at their developmental rate um being able to experience a pilgrimage so i think you're right we can do it uh, without having to spend a lot of money
0: that pilgrimage you were on is reminiscent of uh it, it find, it's an echo of something that saint philip neri did mm-hmm. in uh, in rome during holy week he would uh, Walk with young people uh, uh, through seven churches uh, uh, in Rome and outside of Rome, uh, the f- the uh, the four major basilicas, uh, uh-huh. uh, the catacombs, and uh, the Church of the Holy Cross, hmm. and uh, it was a little bit. He turned it into a picnic. Of course, I mean, yeah. bring your lunch. We're going yes. on, We're going out, and yeah. pilgrimages don't have to uh, be uh, gloomy and sure. Uh, uh, <laughs> L- lugubrious, yes. A, it is a way to have fun. It's a kind, it's a kind of holy fun.
2: Yes, mm. that makes me laugh because uh, the coworker who planned it, he, he lived in Rome, and that's that h- why he kind of decided we were going to do this with Divine Child. And after we did all these shrines, he had told the bus, now we're going to go get ice cream because we've done, but it was like 1130 at night. And so I have all these little kids that are like, now we are going to bed, but everybody else is going to get ice cream. So that's that's an interesting fact that uh, St. Philip Neri kind of planned it like that, like a little bit of joy within it in terms of picnicking. So it's right. great.
0: You know, another place for the not too far for pilgrimage uh, from us is uh, Midland, Ontario, uh, mm. the Shrine mm. of the uh, the Jesuit Martyrs. I've been there. Mm. That's a great spot for pilgrimage. Mm.
2: That's a great idea. That's a great idea. And I know you mentioned Blessed Slanas Casey. It's funny to have friends that I graduated with, you know, years and years ago that will bring their families here to Detroit for a pilgrimage to go visit Blessed Solanus Casey. We've we've really become kind of, I think, a spot that people travel to to be able to pray with through the intercession of Blessed Casey.
0: You know, the the uh, Father Mech and uh, the leadership at the cathedral have developed a, a pilgrimage uh, experience for the cathedral itself with uh, hmm. the uh, the the uh, repositioning of the statues of the 12 apostles and a a relic of each of the apostles so you can make your way uh, through the cathedral on a pilgrimage to visit each of the apostles and to pray uh, for their intercession
2: and that's a great idea for our listeners as we enter into lent right maybe that's a real easy goal of a pilgrimage that you could make um, that's real accessible to us right here to to pray about if God wants you to add that into one of your Lenten commitments to make yep. that pilgrimage to the cathedral, um, with these, with especially with the relics, right? The statues and the relics. So right. that's an idea I'm gonna take.
1: Beautiful. Archbishop, was there anything else you wanted to add as far as on the topic of, of uh, pilgrimages go and anything more specific? I'm glad that you mentioned uh, about specifically at the cathedral. Uh, I was gonna ask you about that because I know you just recently dedicated that, correct?
0: That's right. Uh, just last week, uh, came the uh, project came to its fruition um, I think it 's a beautiful expression of uh, again one more way to let God touch us in in uh, our circumstances, really, I think uh, the inspiration in many ways comes from uh, the the jubilee of the of mercy, the holy doors when mm. uh, the cathedral became a place of pilgrimage uh, to receive the the indulgences of the the year of mercy. Mm. pilgrimages in general are a great way to uh, shift the focus in our life from being immersed in what preoccupies us to think about where we are really heading and Mm. it's there are always graces available on the pilgrimage
2: well that was great and and a lot to to think about and maybe uh, make some commitments to make uh, this particular form of spirituality traveling on a pilgrimage a part of our prayer lives Now we get to move into our listener questions. And if you recall, Archbishop, we've been gathering questions from students at Catholic schools throughout the Archdiocese of Detroit. And so I wanted to ask you a question from Anthony. Anthony asks, how can I let my friends and family know that I love them while still not approving of their life choices? Such a good question.
0: A couple of things come to my mind and then I'm going to throw it back to each of you. So you'll be ready. <laughs> um, I think one way is to be present to family and friends uh, insofar as I can be present to, with them without seeming to endorse uh, uh, life uh, problematic or, or perhaps even sinful life choices, mm-hmm. but to, to stay faithful, to be present, to stay connected. Then I think the the second thing is prayer, uh, to pray for them, and uh, to uh, let them know that you're praying for them. And uh, perhaps even the bold step, for some people this would be kind of bold, to say, how about we pray together? Mm. Uh, I think uh, I've learned that from uh, Steve Dawson and uh, the uh, St. Paul Evangelization. Uh, don't ever hesitate to invite people to join you in prayer. So those cool. are some thoughts cool. that come immediately to my mind. So, Mike, what do you say?
1: Mm. I know it's always a tough thing. Every time I've come up against this in my own life, it's, it's difficult. I would say the key that I have found is that uh, I like what you said, Archbishop, about presence, uh, but I always think of like times when, you know, for example, people in your life maybe struggle with an addiction. To make it very clear that you love them, but, why you don't love their addiction, let's say, and you and you very clearly define um, that you just believe that it's hurting them, that you believe that it's not good for them, that you and that but you still love them. And so there's a distinction that's being made there, but to very clearly state that, you know, and I think all sin, in a sense, is an addiction. So it takes boldness, like you said, Archbishop, but to very clearly state that, hey, I love you and to be present with them and to stay and remain with them all the while having the boldness and the courage to explain kind of why you love them and don't love this certain action. That's, it's mm-hmm. very difficult to do, it's not easy, but I think it's, it's very clear at the same time. I don't know, that's my thought.
0: Well, it, I think you've made a very good precision uh, beyond what I said about presence, to be present but to articulate the, what the presence means. Uh, it means I love you and part of what my love for you means is that I am opposed to these things that hurt you i think mm-hmm. that i think, agree with you mike that's that's much that's very helpful to take it that way mm. mary
2: i think two well two things one um your your famous uh reflection archbishop about uh keeping our eyes on jesus and so really focusing on how jesus loved i know anytime i feel because this is very difficult to do i will just say i have a very hard time knowing how to best love people who have, uh, who are living, uh, or making choices that I think hurt them, right? And so, just asking Jesus for that help and really focusing on, you know, the crucified Christ at, and asking Him how to best show sacrificial love to the people around me. So that wow. I think is one piece. Just asking Him to tell me how to do it because I don't always know. And then uh, <laughs> the other piece is. Really trying to focus on what we are inviting people to. Sometimes I think we're I, I fall into a trap where I'm almost apologetic. But when I focus on the fact that we are inviting people to authentic freedom and real love through relationship with Jesus Christ, it's more we more abundance, more goodness is what the offer is. Living a life with Christ, and so not necessarily uh, a, a super focus on the sin, but on how god wants to call you out i think and that i think can best be done with witness and so just trying to live it but i do really struggle with this i really struggle with when god wants us to speak into things um and what silence you know does silence mean consent and and all those different things it, it can be really hard to do but the closer i know the closer i stay to jesus christ the easier it is for me to love people like him and that's through you know the Eucharist and reconciliation, sacramental grace, all of those things, and so I try to cling uh-huh. to that, and then hope it it all squares away <laughs> in terms of my choices.
0: And following the 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 best insight we have, our best discernment about what serves God, to to take that step and then leave the consequences in His hand. Yep. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, if if it was too much, He'll take care of it. If it was too little, He'll take care of it. Yeah. I did, uh-huh. I, uh, I followed the inspiration I had at the moment, and that yep. that's all God asks of me.
2: Yes. A priest a recently thing. shared with me in reconciliation something very similar to that, and, and like, Lord, redeem it that I've done what I can, and then redeem the parts of it that were not what you wanted. Um, and I, th- I, I am finding that I'm using that prayer quite often in my life and in interactions with people I love. Try to redeem uh, the, <laughs> the times yeah. that I fail, uh, or try to find, follow what Jesus wants, but might fall short. So. Yeah.
1: That's beautiful. Oh, has, th- there's such a, there's such a humility <laughs> in that too, Archbishop, you know, like how you just said that. Cause it's like, I'm just doing the best I can, <laughs> you know, like I'm yeah. doing, you know, so that's great. Yeah. That
2: was a heavy question. I, I know that was uh, hard.
1: Let's, let's transition a lighter <laughs> one here. So, uh, this one from Jamie, uh, Jamie asks, uh, what is your favorite activity, Archbishop?
0: Will you let me say two things? One, I like listening to classical music. Mm-hmm. And two, I like sharing a meal with friends. Oh, that's great. That's
1: good. Yes. Be both those at the same time even. Look at that. Oh, <laughs> yes. I mean, it
2: would be a little, yeah. You have to choose the right type of friends to sit and listen right, to classical right. music with. So. <laughs> All right. And our final question is from Mary Beth. And Mary Beth asks, what was your favorite subject in school growing up?
0: Well, I'm going to, again, make a distinction between grade school and high school. In okay. grade school, it was reading. I, I just enjoyed reading. Uh, uh, I don't know what else they called it when I was in grade school. We just called it reading and and I liked all of that. Uh And then in high school it was Latin because I thought I was so advanced in my life to be able to be studying this thing called Latin. It gave me a great sense of accomplishment in being connected with uh, so many important dimensions of our culture and reality.
1: Very cool. Archbishop, thanks for answering those questions and sharing a little bit about yourself and, in those. And Just uh, one more question for you. Is there anything specific that we can be praying for you for this next month as listeners? Um, any special prayer intentions that you might have?
0: Well, I think a, a couple of things. One is uh, I have a, uh, uh, an evening meal with uh, uh, young fellows who are brought by their parish priest to the seminary uh, just so they could see it and maybe begin to think about the priesthood. So I think that's a good occasion just to continue to pray for an increase of priestly vocations in the archdiocese. Uh, that year is ended, but the prayer needs to continue. Mm-hmm. And the other is we all need to hold up in prayer the catechumens as mm-hmm. they make their pilgrimage uh,
1: to the baptismal font. Beautiful. We will definitely keep those intentions in mind, Archbishop, for sure. And if Archbishop, would you mind closing us with a prayer and blessing?
0: Happy to do that. Let's place all of our intentions, our aspirations to serve God uh, in Jesus, uh, in the hands of Our Lady. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death, amen. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
1: Amen. Amen. Thanks, Archbishop. You're most welcome.
2: Stay tuned for the next episode of Eyes on Jesus, a new episode every month. And if you enjoyed listening, you might also enjoy Detroit Stories, a podcast from the Archdiocese of Detroit. Find it on your favorite podcast app.